Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm sure looking forward to spending time with you today. I'm so glad that you are here, and I'm glad uh, we're going to spend at least some of this time together. I hope the whole two hours, because I have a great show for you. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in just a minute. Then after Rob, Mike Nabotny is going to be coming back on again. He's written a book called The Power of Devoted Prayer. So I'm looking forward to that. And then Hour two, Jeff Redorn is going to continue our study on the basic foundations of the Bible. We call that the Bible Bible series. And that's what's ahead for the day. So I'm looking forward to spending uh, time with you, and I hope you've got, uh, I hope you've had a great day so far. Rob Bluey, of course, is the uh, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Always love having Rob on on Tuesdays to get things started. Here he is. Rob, welcome. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Yeah. Lots of crazy stuff in the news. Of course, um, I would like to, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about uh, what's the truth about the Hyde Amendment? Yes, well, let's talk about that, because right now in Washington, D.C., we're having a big debate about the annual spending bills. Uh, We've just uh, gone through a period of time where Congress kicked the can down the road a little bit until early December, when they will once again try to get the year-long spending bills in place, uh, as is so often known as the continuing resolution saga. Uh, Congress has a difficult time of actually passing a budget on time. So what they typically do is they take the previous year's spending plan Mm. and they'll extend it for a a couple of months. And in this case, they did so until early December. Now, included in that spending bill, or bills actually, there's 12 12 different appropriation bills, is language called the Hyde Amendment. This has been in place since 1976. It's named after a former Illinois congressman named Henry Hyde. And it has to do with abortion. Uh, After the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, the federal government made the decision that taxpayers would not have to support taxpayer-funded abortions because they might be morally objectionable to certain individuals. Uh, There is a widespread agreement. um, Over a majority of Americans, when polled, uh, support this decision. It includes upwards of 60% of independents and uh, over 30% of Democrats even support this decision. So regardless of where you might fall on the issue of life and abortion, uh, it's been generally agreed upon since 1976 that you would not make taxpayers fund abortions through government programs like, like Medicare and Medicaid. So, Bill, uh, where we find ourselves today is uh, Joe Biden, after 30 years of supporting the Hyde Amendment, said during the presidential campaign last year that he had changed his mind and now thinks we should do away with the Hyde Amendment and not include this language in the appropriation bill. So that's a little bit of background and history on what the Hyde Amendment is and why it's a debate up for discussion today. And this has, like you said, Rob, a lot of uh, bipartisan support. 58% of Americans opposed using tax dollar uh, for abortions. And like you said, 65% of independents, 31% of Democrats. That's a, a pretty um, mixed bag of people who um, who are opposed to it. Well, that's, that's right, Bill. And I, I think that whenever we're talking about 
taxpayer money, so money that I pay to the federal government in taxes or they take out of my paycheck, I think the taxpayer should have some say over how that's ultimately used. Um, and, and on an issue as divisive as abortion, it seems that it's been, you know, rather long, again, since 1976, that this was not a way that you would use that money. So for well over 40 years, we've had agreement between Republicans and Democrats, and all of a sudden 2020 comes around, and there's a group of lawmakers in Congress who are pushing to get rid of this language. So the government would not have restrictions on how to spend this money. Um, I can't speak to why Joe Biden changed his mind during the campaign last year, but as President Biden, his own budget proposed getting rid of this language as well. So, I mean, it is an issue that he's willing to take a stance on. Now, how does it ultimately end up? I would suspect because of the narrow margins in Congress, you have uh, just a, a handful of votes separating Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. House. And of course, we have a 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate that uh, there are enough Democrats who are concerned about removing the Hyde Amendment that they would, might force leadership to actually include it in whatever compromise they end up uh, coming up with. That includes Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who, of course, is a deciding vote in the U.S. Senate. So, Bill, I ultimately think that it'll probably survive another year, but it's certainly interesting that um, it's become such a contentious debate, particularly at a time when, when Roe v. Wade itself is going to come under examination on December 1st before the U.S. Supreme Court. Rob, who do you think is putting pressure on President Biden? I know he has been in support of the Hyde Amendment forever, and now all of a sudden he's against it. You know, it's it's curious because it's not just this issue where, where Biden has changed his tune. Uh, you might remember that during the campaign, I mean, he presented himself as a moderate. And yet when it comes to this big tr multi-trillion dollar spending will, he's taken the side of the, the progressives or mm -hmm. the more liberal wing of his party. So I, I think that he is... Uh, responding to the base, the Democratic base, which probably tends to be a little bit more outspoken and activist than maybe, say, some of the more moderate people that um, that make up the party. And so he uh, he is trended in that direction uh, on, on this issue in particular. And I think that you see it in other places. I mean, the fact that um, uh, Columbus Day was, was referred to as Ind Indigenous People's Day, I mean, that is something that the far left has been pushing for a number of years. And uh, you may agree or disagree with Christopher Columbus, but um, I think that it was a telling sign that Biden decided to use that language this year in his first year as president. Yeah. Rob, what's going on with our supply chain? And I know there's problems and concerns uh, looking into the future. So where are we with that? Yeah, well, I'm sure your listeners uh, have had their own experiences with uh, some of the challenges of getting products at the grocery store, being able to rent a car, uh, you know, even apparently flying on, on certain airlines these days is, is a challenge and a hassle. So um, we continue to see COVID having a, an impact here. There's, there's no doubt about that. I think that on the one end, it's, uh, it's China and where a lot of the products are manufactured. Um, other, other countries may have seen an outbreak in COVID, and that's obviously impacted the workforce there. If they can't get workers in the factory, then that's going to slow the process of getting products to the United States. If you look at this incredible map of um, the coastal waterways in the United States and just how many cargo ships are, are waiting uh, to dock at the ports and unload, uh, you know, it's, it's just fascinating to see um, how many are just sitting there waiting and waiting. And that's because there's a shortage of truck drivers. And so if the truck drivers can't unload the cargo fast enough, obviously they're not getting to the stores. And then you have other things. Um, for instance, it's, it's really unclear what happened with, uh, with Southwest. Um, but I think that certain 
COVID vaccine mandates um, might uh, prompt some employers to have to change their their approach. <laughs> By the way, not just employers, but I think some of our professional uh, sports teams might be without certain players because uh, they, they don't want to proceed. So COVID's having a, an impact in, in ways uh, large and small, Bill. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I would be mindful of is as this continues, there's probably some adjustments we're going to have to make. Maybe it, <laughs> what's on the Thanksgiving dinner table or what 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 uh, presents are under the Christmas tree this year might have an impact as well. Yeah, I I understand that. It seems crazy that there are ships out that can't bring the product in. They're just out there uh, waiting for their chance to unload their their supply, and then we just can't we can't truck the we don't have the truckers. Well, Bill, and, and I'll tell you, I had an opportunity to travel to, to my hometown in upstate New York this uh, this past weekend and obviously spent a lot of time on the highways. Uh, so, I mean, you see how busy it is um, with, with the fleet that we already have. I mean, <laughs> you can't, can't go a mile without, without seeing a truck. So uh, hats off to the truck drivers who are doing their job and, and trying to get these products to where they need to be. But I just think that Things are so backed up. Uh, we just don't have. There's so much demand. Uh, we can't keep up with it. And I know that it takes a long time to train to be a truck driver. It's not like you can just hop in the truck one day and, and do it. I mean, it's uh, a quite a lengthy process to go through. So there are a number of uh, implications all across uh, the workforce. And and then that's the other thing, Bill. I mean, we have to remember that we still have a lot of unfilled jobs. I mean, there's a there's a big pent up demand out there, but um, Americans seem to be based on the latest job report. Um, uh, a little bit reluctant to jump back in uh, quite so quickly. So uh, all of these things are are things that I think in time will sort themselves out. But right now we're feeling the pinch. You know, Rob, I just want to do a, a little uh, congratulations and thank you to all the truck drivers. I know there's some driving right now that are listening to the show and I am in awe. I mean, you know, when you're you're going down a road and they're, and they're kind of temporarily blocking it because there's this gigantic truck that's got like one shot to back into the the loading dock and you're going, oh, it would take me like half a day. And there would oh, be that's what I mean, Bill. millions it is, of dollars it is of not damage e- to buildings. <laughs> it is not an easy job. And, uh, and I, I, I agree with you on that, that point. And, uh, and definitely they play a vital role. And sometimes we don't appreciate it because we take a lot of that for granted. But I, I think it's important if they're listening to us right now uh, to say thank you for sure. And we love you, all you wonderful people who drive trucks. Thank you so much for bringing the goods that, that, that we have in our stores, and you make our lives so uh, nice. So thank you for that. Rob Louis, my guest, he is the executive editor over at The Daily Signal. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, all kinds of questions I have for Rob when we return. He's my Washington, D.C. go-to correspondent guy, and I love him. I'll be right back. my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, during the break, Rosie and I were saying, well, how are these people paying their bills? And then don't you have to go to the unemployment office and say, I've been trying to get a job and I have had no luck? I mean, right now, that's not going to fly. That's that's a good point. I mean, uh, remember, there was the enhanced uh, unemployment uh, insurance benefits that, that kicked in under President Trump and, and President Biden continued, where they were giving an additional bonus uh, to, to people who lost their job. 
And, uh, and that's one of the things that's been a point of contention because you have some states that would like to end that uh, as an incentive to get people back to work, uh, whereas you have other, other politicians who want to keep that going. And so, Bill, maybe that's enough. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm, I'm not kidding you when I, I tell you that I, I recently watched uh, a, a documentary on the whole uh, controversy with, with Robin Hood and, and, um, and you know, the, these, these stocks uh, from like GameStop and these other, you know, kind of legacy companies and, and how they drive them to, you know, these exorbitant uh, levels. And they interview some of the people on there who, um, who they ask, you know, like, well, where do you, where are you getting this money? And, you know, I think it's really fascinating to hear. I mean, first of all, they're bored because they might not, you know, be, they might be working from home or have extra time on their hands. And in other cases, yeah, they might be out of work, but they're, you know, collecting a, a paycheck from other means. So I don't know exactly how to answer your question, but I think that um, one thing is for sure, and you see this in some of the poverty numbers that's been released. I mean, we've been able to reduce the the poverty rate during the pandemic, in part because of the additional government benefits that wow. have gone out. But I mean, at some point, uh, I think it's important. The you know the importance of work cannot be um, o- o- you know o- overemphasized here. I mean, it is it is crucial. I think for for Americans to get get back to uh, the way that we were doing things pre pandemic. And uh, and obviously there are going to be some changes, and I think changes for for the benefit of workers. There's going to be employers are going to have to be a lot more flexible in terms of uh, allowing people to work from home if you have that option. Not all jobs are, are, allow that, um, but uh, but you know I think a lot of employees are going to demand some changes that uh, that will hopefully be better for their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Rob, here's a question from Cheryl. Could you ask Rob, that'd be you, why we never hear of any talk of budget cuts? <laughs> That's a great question. We, the last time we were talking about budget cuts was probably 10 years ago uh, when the Tea Party ushered in big changes in Washington and uh, they forced uh, Barack Obama and, and John Boehner to get together and, and cut a deal called the Budget Control Act, which did uh, cut the budget, but uh, that was highly unpopular. And it seemed that Washington always found a way to undo that, whether it was Republicans or Democrats running the show. Oh, well, nobody wants to cut the budget because you have to make hard choices. And there's always a constituency in Washington who obviously wants to see um, see their share of the pie increase, not decrease. And so whether that be the military or whether that be the social programs or uh, you know, even state or local governments that are increasingly looking to Washington for help to pay their bills. Uh, they have 435 members of Congress and 100 senators who are acting on their behalf. So I will say one thing. Uh, when Congress had to act last week on the debt ceiling, they, um, they, they were forced to make a, a, a tough decision. They had, to put an, they had to attach a dollar amount to the debt ceiling, whereas Bill, for the last few times they've they've uh, uh, increased the debt ceiling, they've actually put no dollar amount on it. They've just uh, suspended it. And I think that that is a, a, a poor choice on the part of our Washington politicians. If you were going to go to the credit card company and say, suspend my credit limit, I, I want to have infinity, you know, to be able to spend as much as I want, the credit card companies would, would laugh at you. They always give you a credit limit. And I think that it's important for our politicians in Washington to set a limit so the American people know what they're spending. And when we reach that limit or, or approach reaching that limit, uh, we should have a debate about spending cuts as well, as well as just increasing the limit again. And that's unfortunately what we've done for the last uh, several years now. Mm-hmm. Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, is talking about concerned parents calling them domestic terrorists. I know in Loudoun County, which is your neck of the woods, there's all kinds of excitement going on. 
Oh yeah, well, Loudoun County seems to be ground zero for a lot of these <laughs> debates, whether whether it be uh, COVID it mandates and mask mandates, if if it's uh, critical race theory. Um, that is uh, where all of the action is happening. And yes, it is the neighboring county. And we're watching it closely because I think it could be a situation. Virginia obviously has a big uh, election this year on November 2nd. Uh, the race for governor will be decided. And it's a close race between Terry McAuliffe, the former governor, and Glenn Youngkin, the Republican. They're debating a lot of these issues that are playing out nationally. And they're also happening right here locally. So um, yes, when the attorney general said last week, that he was going to follow on the lead of this National School Boards Association and start investigating parents who show up at school board meetings and speak out, I think it raised a lot of alarm, uh, in part because parents obviously have a big stake in their kids' education. I mean, I almost feel like I tell you this weekly, <laughs> that parents need to you know, pay attention to what's happening in their kids' schools, because I know that if you don't, uh, you know, they're, they're likely to slip something in that you might disagree with. And that's not to say that there isn't room for disagreement. I think that it, there certainly is. And I want kids to see and hear different points of view. But I also think parents should have a seat at the table. And so when you have certain politicians who come out and uh, and want to want to put a crimp on that and, and not allow that to happen, I think that it's unfortunate. And that's why, um, you know, we, we need to we need to stay on the story. We need to follow it closely. If um, if any parents do end up coming under FBI investigation, I think the public should know about it. And, uh, and, you know, Bill, I, um, I ultimately hope that the pushback that the attorney general received is a wake-up call that maybe he should back off of this. Now, the gentleman in Loudoun County that got dragged off by the police, which I know was very dramatic on television, uh, he had a fairly legitimate uh, complaint. And, and I thought, you know, for people who just kind of glance at the news, they see a guy who's upset about something and they drag him off. But if you dig a little deeper, his story is pretty intense. That's that's right, uh, and and for the, for those um, who who you know haven't seen this story, I mean it's it's uh, really remarkable. I mean it's worth it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but uh, it, it, one of the other issues is uh, what's going on with with the transgender issue and who's allowed in in certain bathrooms. And Loudoun County has a very uh, let's say uh, liberal policy when it comes to to these issues, and so. Uh, th- this parent who was arrested during the, the June board meeting, uh, school board meeting in Loudoun County, was um, when speaking out on some of these issues. He has a daughter, and these are issues that concerned him. So I think that it's uh, legitimate uh, for these parents, uh, obviously within within reason. I mean, you shouldn't threaten anybody or carry it too far, but uh, but definitely uh, to be able to speak up at a board meeting is something that that is worthwhile. Bill, I can tell you uh, one of my first assignments as a reporter well over 20 years ago was covering uh, local school board meetings. And very, very rarely, and town council meetings and zoning board of appeals and all of those other things that go on, very rarely would you have parents who show up at these things. I think it is fantastic that parents are actually paying attention to what's going on at these school board meetings, that they're running for school board themselves. I mean, we, we should want, I just did an interview with Victor Davis Hansen, uh, the, the noted uh, author who has got a new book out last week called The Dying Citizens. And he talks exactly about this because he says, how in so much of our society we're discouraging people from taking a, an active role in in their their local communities, 
And I think that it's encouraging in so many of these places to see people um, rejecting that kind of advice and, and getting involved. And I hope that a lot of your listeners do as well, uh, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you might be on. I mean, I think it's important to have our voices as part of the conversation and not some let some elite board or a, a elite political leader uh, determine which direction where our country is headed. Mm-hmm. Rob, John is interested in knowing if there is a proposal for reducing the mail service. Oops, did I lose you? I might have. Yeah, I guess I lost him. Nuts. Such a good question, too. That I don't know the answer to, so I can't even start to fake my way through this one. <laughs> Do you want me to try to get him back on? We have a minute left. Well, no, we have a little more than a minute left. But, yeah, if you can get him back on, that'd be great. Sounds good. Hi, yeah. hi Bill. Oh, hi, he's Bill. Back. There, there, he's back. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Rob. Do you, uh, The question was, I don't know if you heard it, uh, is there a proposal for reducing the mail service? Well, there there are a lot of proposals, Bill, and uh, and one of the things that I think is uh, <laughs> is really interesting is is that uh, we talk about the the, the mail and ref- making reforms for for years and years and years, and it seems that not a lot happens. Uh, now, under President Trump, he did try to make some big changes to the Postal Service, uh, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of those things got caught up in, in political bickering, as they so often do in Washington. But if one agency is, uh, is in need of reform, it seems that it's the Postal Service. And I think that uh, you know, it's often hard to get things across the finish line, but um, as our country adapts and changes and, and mail's a big part of that, uh, you know, may, maybe some, some reforms there would be a good thing and ultimately save taxpayers some money. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, know what the latest is on the Biden tax plan. We've got a couple of minutes, uh, Rob. If you could give us an update on that, I would. I would like to hear that. I certainly can, Bill. And I will tell you, the Biden tax plan is going to be one of the largest tax increases that um, that that Americans face uh, in in years. And that's in part because there's a lot of spending that they're proposing, and there are a lot of Democrats within President Biden's own party who want to see it paid for. And in order to pay for it, you're going to have to increase taxes. Now, Biden says he's just going to tax corporations and the top 1%. But here's the thing. In reality, those taxes are going to be passed along to consumers in other ways. So if you increase taxes on corporations and businesses, you better believe that you're going to see them pass along the, the price increases and in whether it's food or the products that you buy. Um, and there are some taxes on investments and other things that have been proposed. So it is a massive tax increase. Uh, now, we might see this scale back, Bill. I think that there are encouraging signs, uh, at least if you're a fiscal conservative, that the, the lawmakers in Washington haven't been able to come to an agreement on this Build Back Better agenda. And that's in part because of the size of the, the proposal here, on the spending side and the tax side. Mm-hmm. And so if Nancy Pelosi ultimately decides to scale back that, that proposal, um, ultimately, I think that's a win for taxpayers. But, uh, you know, anything's, it's anybody's guess as to what, this is, what the end game is going to be here, because there are so many divisions in Washington right now, just within the Democratic Party. It's hard to say how things are going to shake out. Yeah, Rob, last quick question. Could you uh, give again the title of the documentary that you uh, referenced earlier? Yes. Something about uh, Robin Hood? Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. I, 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 but Bill, let me get back to you on the exact name of it. But okay, it was, um, it was on like, uh, I was on Apple and, and Robin Hood, of course, is the, is the app that people use, you know, to make okay. stock purchases without going oh, gotcha, through a broker. Gotcha. gotcha. Firm. Okay. So yeah. I, I, I will, I will get that for your listeners so they can watch it themselves. All right. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day. 
Okay, All thank right. you, Bill. Thank you so much, Rob Blue. He's been my guest. Of course, the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a little break. Mike Novotny, Pastor Mike Novotny, is going to be joining me. His book is called The Power of Devoted Prayer. It's up next. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Mike Novotny sure does a lot of things well. His latest booklet is called The Power of Devoted Prayer. I find this fascinating. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me back. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. You do everything pretty well. I bet you even lettered in high school. (laughs) (laughs) They made up sports for me to play just so I could get a letter, too. (laughs) So did you letter in high school? Um, yeah, I was cool. a tennis player, soccer player, hockey player, and a high school ping pong champion, believe it or not. Okay, now I'm intimidated. You're, <laughs> you're good at ping pong. <laughs> oh, high school was a couple years ago, so it's, it's been a bit, but I could dig deep. Yeah, some of, these, some of these people who specialize in sports, like ping pong, or I had a, a teacher at my high school who was a, a, a championship badminton player. And I was a tennis oh. player as well, so I thought, I can take the old man in badminton. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> so I called all my buddies, and I challenged him. And I remember he took his shirt off and you know, was in his white T-shirt, and we were playing badminton one day. And I tell you, it was painful. He beat me like 15-1, 15-2, because, because he knew what he was doing. Oh, man. Did you pray before the match? I did pray, and I didn't pray good oh. enough. Oh man, that and that's my like problem. Segue. <laughs> yeah, I know, but now I've got your book, so I can I can the power of devoted prayer. <laughs> Rechallenge him to the badminton the match that's well, been waiting for decades. He's he's passed on. But anyway, as I look at this book of yours, uh, the power of devoted prayer. Let's chat about some of the great things that's inside because you are uh, you are doing a nice job of of raising points that we all think about, like um, what most of us miss when praying, and it's not the asking. What is it? Ooh. Yeah, it's starting in the right spot with prayer, um, which, you know, I tend to jump to the God help, um, <laughs> God please. Yeah, give me, God, help me, give me, help me. Yeah, good kind of crisis mode. Um, I've kind of noticed, though, when we, when we kind of resist the urge to jump into the request line and we start just with substantial amounts of praise towards God, um, some people use what's called the ACTS method, which is, Adoration comes before confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, other people have heard of the P-A-R-Y method. You start with praise before you get to repentance or asking or yielding to God's will. And, you know, kind of what that does, it, it has this really great domino effect where if I'm starting out, God, you, you are my Father. You know everything about everything. You can change anything. You're omnipotent, powerful. You see the future. You, you care about me personally. You forgive my sins. You're, you're holy and glorious. You're sufficient. Um, you know, a lot of the Psalms, I think, are this beautiful mixture of constant praise over who God is and then desperate cries out for his help. And that really, it kind of sets you up in a good spot, I think, because if we're praying to a small God, our requests will be small. I think our repentance will be weak. And our trust in God's final answer will be timid. But yeah, I like if that. we can kind of get ourselves into this habit, like, no, God is huge. I can ask him for big things. 
oh my God, God is so glorious and good. How could I have sinned against him yesterday? And my God, you must be so good. Even if you say no to the, the 10 requests I'm about to make to you, I still trust you and you're enough and I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. So yeah, I, I think starting with praise or adoration is kind of a, a game changer to start our prayers in a fresh way. Mike, one of the things I often start my prayers with to God is, God, you have information about my life I don't have. Mm. I'm going to start there. <laughs> so let's not pretend that I'm going to tell you what's best for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. That kind of starts you in that nice, humble posture of a child instead of the uh, the boss who's going to tell the employee called God exactly what he should do. Right. So is it okay to to be demanding with God? Oh, for sure. Oh, okay. I, I love the story. Do you remember when Jacob, it's such an odd story where in the Old Testament where Jacob wrestles with God. Yes. It's, you know, <laughs> it's <just> humorous <laughs> to me. You know, Jacob's just there, and then this figure just appears and wrestles him for hours. <laughs> so whenever I try to picture this actually happening, it makes me grin. But, you know, there's this great line where he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And I actually think it honors God when we're, you know, maybe demanding in the way of saying, God, I'm, I'm praising you today as not a kind of a wishy-washy, kind of holy, kind of sinful God. Like, you are the God who is truth. And you said, like, you, you said you would work all things for my good. You said that if I keep knocking, the door will be opened. You said that the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. You said that all my sin is forgiven. It's separated as far from me as the West. So I, I love being, I might call it um, doctrinally demanding, Mm-hmm. or bibli- biblically insistent. I'm not going to tell God, you know, he has to make it 75 and sunny today. I am going to hold God to his word, though. I think that honors him as a God of, of truth, uh, a God of honesty. And man, that, that's pretty empowering to think, I already know the answer to this one, because God has already made a promise in his word to say yes to it. Mike, when I, Mike Novotny is my guest, and his book is The Power of Devoted Prayer. Mike, when I think of Luke 11, when... Jesus says, you know, suppose you have a friend, you go to him at midnight and say, you know, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's on a journey. And and the person persists. Uh, is this something that we learn? This is how God wants us to come to him and be persistent and keep knocking? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the painful things I had to do in college, Bible college, was to study Greek for a lot of semesters. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was not praising the Lord in the moment for it. Yeah. But there's some really great insights of knowing New Testament Greek, because in those classic passages where Jesus says, you know, knock and the door will be opened or seek and you will find, the the way the verb is in the original Greek language is literally keep knocking and the door will be opened or keep seeking and you will find. Um, so, yeah, there's just this like this idea of persistence with prayer that sometimes for for wisdom I don't always understand, God kind of waits to see if we're just using him as like a vending machine. Yeah. Uh, A2 is the blessing. I want, oh, sure, I'll pray about that. But if I'm persistently waiting, trusting God, and keep on asking him, I love, is it Luke 18, the persistent widow, mm-hmm. where Jesus wears down this unjust judge, and Jesus concludes like, yeah, he, he teaches this us so that we would keep praying and not give up, which is just a profound lesson in prayer. I love that. So what about praying the gospel over each other? Oh, man. Is that a yeah, good idea? Most... 
<laughs> no, no. I, so let's just stick to requirements and laws and rules. I think that's <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's easy. Uh, man, um, quick story. I'm at a coffee shop two weeks ago with this guy whose marriage is right on the the cusp of he's thinking about walking away. He doesn't know if he should stay. And, you know, I'm trying to give him advice on selflessness and love and, and forgiveness and humility. And I remember in the middle of the conversation, it, it was, it had been a pretty rough road for him. Um, and it wasn't even anything he had said, but maybe I was just assuming having been in, you know, enough marital disagreements. I said, Hey man, and I want you to know God forgives you. And this, this tough guy, like, the conversation went from, I think, his head, and it just zipped right down to his heart. And I said, I imagine in all the ups and downs that you've been through with your wife, you've, you've probably said some things, and you've probably done some things that you really regret and that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And now just the whole tone of the conversation changed. And it, like in that moment, the gospel got to his heart of like the thing he needed most wasn't some good advice from his pastor, he needed some good news about his own forgiveness. And I think when we're in groups, whether we're, we're praying with our kid, praying with a friend, praying with a group at church, you know, saying, God, please give us safe travels and please help the surgery go well. And you know, please give us endurance with this cancer. That, that's amazing. That's good stuff. But it can be even more powerful to just say, God, I praise you today as the Savior who, who sent his son, that we'd be forgiven for everything. Help help my friend Joe here to believe that, that he is forgiven, that there is no condemnation right now for him. Um, man, we sometimes we rush to giving good advice to fix problems, but the greatest problem has already been fixed. And reminding each other of that in prayer can be a really spiritually intimate and a really spiritually powerful thing to do. Mike, I bet the enemy does not like believers who persist in prayer. <laughs> He does not. <laughs> You've, you have some experience in this interviewing stuff, Bill. I feel like you're giving me easy questions to answer. I appreciate well, that. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wanting to learn more about the power of devoted prayer, and I'm just trying to do some touch points that I think are yeah. absolutely true. Yeah, spot on. If, if, if prayer really is powerful, and sometimes it takes some persistence to get there, yes, the, the enemy would love to cut off that conversation between our Heavenly Father, and His beloved children. If He somehow can sow His lies and distrust to make us think, oh, this is useless, or I already asked for this twice and nothing changed, or God's probably mad at me, that's why this is happening in my life, or He must be so disappointed in me after what I did last night. Like, oh my goodness, just lies and deceptions and half-truths being twisted because he knows that when God speaks to us in his word and then we speak back to him in prayer, that is like the sweetest conversation in the universe. Mm -hmm. So I have no doubt there's a spiritual war and the devil grimaces every time we open up our hands to the heavens or clasp our fingers together and close our eyes. He hates when that happens every single time. Yeah. Mike, what about a person who prays diligently for relief from physical pain and discomfort? And that goes on for 10 years and things just get worse. Uh, yeah. Yeah, your timing is interesting. So this Sunday at our church, we're starting a six-week series on the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually sent out a, a survey to our whole church family, and I had asked two pretty 
um, vulnerable questions. I said, number one, are you willing to tell me about the hardest thing you've ever been through in life? And then number two, would you tell me how that affected you spiritually? Like, did you pray more? Did you pray less? Did you get closer to God or did you get kind of angry and and push him away? Mm. And so actually just this morning, as I was getting ready for work, I'm reading through, I think 73 responses came in of, you know, of miscarriage, of divorce, of losing a, a father when she was just a child, of abuse that people had been through, of depression and anxiety that they've been praying for for years, maybe decades, and that's still lingering around. Um, so yeah, those moments where you think of, is it Second Corinthians 12, where Paul says he is pleading with God to take this thorn out of his flesh? Mm-hmm. And it's tormenting him, and he, you know, three times he asked, so he is being persistent. And yet, um, that is such a profound chapter. If anyone's listening and just struggling with, you know, chronic pain or an unanswered prayer, just, you know, meditate a little bit on Second Corinthians 12. Because Paul finds out there, like, God's grace is sufficient for today. Like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if God's going to flip that switch and heal my pain. But today, even though I'm weak, God is present, God is strong, God is gracious. And with a God like that, that hopefully I started out praising, I'm going to be okay today. I might be wincing, but God's going to be with me, and he's going to be enough. Yeah, I'm sure that's a a daily struggle for many. And then when it comes to some emotional pain, you've got some um, suffering that you're going through, and you wonder, when is this ever going to recede a little bit? If ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and we right. live, uh, our father's Psalm 34, 18 says he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So, yeah, I, you know, I think theologians in centuries past and many modern ones too were smart to say, read the Psalms, read the Psalms, <laughs> chant the Psalms, <laughs> sing the Psalms, yeah. pray the it. You know, that there's just, people who have been down this road before and they understand your pain and they're crying out to God desperately and persistently. And yet they keep coming back to these praiseworthy truths that God is our rock, our refuge, our stronghold, our tower, and we can be still and know that he is God. And Mike, doesn't it blow your mind to think that God is listening and that he literally knows the sound of your voice when you speak out loud in prayer? Yeah, that is so profound. Uh, I'm trying to think like, I could call a D-list celebrity, and they would have no, they would have no interest in talking to me. They're like, yeah. who's calling? Right. <laughs> oh, there's this Mike guy from Wisconsin. Like, uh, no, <laughs> but here's God, right? He's, he has bigger fish to fry than, like, me wanting to have a nice day with my daughters yeah. or God, God help me preach this sermon well or love my neighbor well. But he gives, he gives me his full attention. Um, I had amazing. a theology professor in college who said God, in his essence, cannot be divided so when he says he listens to you, it is impossible for like 1% of God to listen to you. Like in his absolute entirety, he is turning his ears towards you, his, his face is shining upon you, and you have all of God's attention. Like that, that is profound. Why would God do that for me or for us? But he does. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow, what a gift prayer. Yeah. Let me take a short break, Mike. When I come back, let me ask you if you'd break down the Lord's Prayer for us a little bit. That's such oh, an important... I- uh, part of prayer. Mike DeMotney is my guest. The Power of Devoted Prayer is his book. We'll be right back.
So glad to have Pastor Mike Novotny on. He's at Core Church. That's a church in downtown Appleton, Wisconsin. He's also a spiritual leader and a lead speaker for a Time of Grace. It's a media ministry that reaches more than a million times, more than a million times each month through weekly television broadcast and podcast. And believe me, he is on TV because I saw him at the gym one day. And I thought, ah, there's Mike Novotny. And I, had, I was having a great workout, by the way. <laughs> and a, 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 listener, a listener made an observation about your conversation with your friend whose marriage was in the tank. Maybe you can respond to this. Uh, I may have misunderstood, but his friend can have regrets. But if we don't repent, we don't receive forgiveness and shouldn't tell others they're forgiven simply because they regret their decisions. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for that question, Beck. Yeah, context, you know, despite the difficulty of marriage and figuring out a next step, you know, there, there was a, there was a recognition of sin there. So I didn't, I didn't sense a hard-hearted wiping his feet on the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, but kind of sense in that moment, here was a guy who messed up, didn't know how to get out of the mess and needed God's grace and cleansing to take that first step. All right. Thank you for that, Mike. Let's break down the Lord's prayer. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. The Lord's Prayer is so profound to me. Like, J- Jesus, you might want to get out a pen for this one, Bill. Jesus knew I already have a pen out, by the way. He knew, Jesus Christ knew what he was talking about. So, did you write that down? I did write that down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, uh, I've, yeah, we, we're one of those churches here where we pray the Lord's Prayer in church um, every Sunday. But before we do, I almost always make some comment, and it's just profound to me, no matter what the topic is of the sermon, no matter what part of the Bible I've been unpacking, there's almost a direct connection to the Lord's Prayer. So, you know, Jesus in his divine wisdom has kind of squeezed all of, all of life, spiritual things, physical things, relationships with other people and forgiveness, relationships with God and his will and his glory, you know, from daily bread to protection from the evil one. So it is just a masterful prayer. Um, I think that the two things I could, I could gush for hours about the Lord's prayer, but the two things that I, I find myself coming back to all the time are number one, the way it starts, our father in heaven or our father who arts in heaven, if you know, kind of the older version. And every word of that phrase strikes me that God would call himself a father. Um, I know not all fathers are, are good or kind, but I, I have daughters and I think I would do anything for my daughters. Uh, I love them so profoundly, and I'm a sinful, broken, from the race of Adam and Eve kind of man. And when Jesus wanted us to pray, he gives us this model prayer. He wants us to start by thinking of God like that. Um, he could have said our king in heaven, our creator in heaven, our judge in heaven, our Lord in heaven, but he chooses just as intimate as it can be our father in heaven and I love the fact that he puts the word our there. Um, you know, Bill, if, if your father was an amazing, generous man, but I wasn't his kid, just you were, I would say, well, good for Bill. It <laughs> 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 must be nice to be him. You know, his, yeah. his dad takes, takes him out and is generous and kind and forgiving. Um, you know, so Jesus says, no, when Christians pray, when disciples pray, we pray our father. And the God who is running the show has this intimate love for us, and that possessive pronoun, he is ours through faith in Jesus. Um, I actually had a sermon series on prayer. Uh, this would have been about a year ago. 
And uh, I kind of set this up where I had this dad come up with his four-year-old uh, son. His name was Asher, the little boy. And uh, I kind of crouched down on one knee, and I lifted up a big hand for a high five. And I said, hey, Asher, why, why don't you take a few steps back, and I want you to run and jump and give me a big high five, all right? And so this little kid gets all excited. And uh, so I give him the countdown, three, two, one, boom. And Asher starts running. And just before he gets to me, I'm not sure if this was mean to do to a kid. In front of the <laughs> church, but I, I stood up, all, I'm about six foot, two inches tall. I stood up, I stretched my hand way up in the air, and I stood way up on my tippy toes. And Asher, his little, his little kid, she was like, <laughs> he just stopped. And this was so classic. This is exactly what I wanted him to say. And these exact words came out of his mouth. He looked up at me and said, I can't. And I smiled at him like, that's right. Yeah, you, you can't. And I kind of pointed at his dad who was standing behind him. I said, do you think there is anyone who could help you so you can? Oh. You know, and so dad picks him up by the waist and he lifts Asher up and we got this just beautiful picture in church. Our cameraman got of this little four-year-old giving me a high five. Um, I think about that image a lot. Like there are so many ways that we're just like little kids. Um, the, the challenges, I mean, the things we can't control, the ability to forgive our own sins. Like we we're like Asher looking up at this six foot two guy in his tiptoes. It's like how I can share my faith with someone, but I, I can't make them believe it. Or I can try to love my friends, but I can't control their response to be my friend in return. And I, I think that attitude is kind of like having the heart of a child and praying like a child, like father, I, I can't. Um, you're going to have to lift me up. You're going to have to bless me. I was actually praying that same thing before we started talking today. Like, God, I, I'm just going to mumble and babble, and it's going to be a waste of time unless <laughs> unless you do something with it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I think of these images when I pray that short little line, Our Father in Heaven, you love me, you're my Father, you can lift me up to accomplish things I simply can't on my own. I need you. I can do no good thing without you. And so I'm turning to you, the God of power and the God of love, to accomplish today what I cannot. It's almost it's all the image too, Mike, of you know approaching someone at church or someone who's a little child is with their dad, and they're kind of standing behind the the pant leg of their dad, kind of holding on, peering around the dad's leg, mm-hmm. and not sure who this guy is, but they know they're safe behind dad's leg. Yeah, yeah, such a great picture. A, a good earthly father, a good earthly mother, is such a vivid image of what it's like to have a good God. Yeah. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left. Maybe one or two common obstacles to prayer. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, this is going to sound dumb. Um, That's a, no, it's not. And I, I, I struggle profoundly with, with prayer. It's amazing to me. Like, I love podcasts. I love Christian worship music. I love reading my Bible. I love going to church. But I'm 40 years into being a Christian, and I still find this rather challenging. <laughs> and the, the challenge is the simple faith to believe that prayer does something. You know, the, the title of the book, The Power of Devoted Prayer, mm-hmm. um, that's really, I mean, the promise is clear. I think it's James 5, verse 16, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. And just to believe, like, if I don't pray about this, something powerful will not happen. Um, something will not be affected in my life in a way that it would be if I turn to God in humble, childlike prayer to my Heavenly Father. 
And that's just exciting to me. Like, God is good. He wants to bless me. He wants to help me. But just to maintain the strong connection to him, I mean, he could bless me in a thousand ways without me even thinking about him, but I wouldn't love him more if he did. Mm. Uh, I would just assume that things worked out. Well, how about that? <laughs> yeah. <It> was, <laughs> you know, well, how lucky I am. But instead, when I believe that prayer works and that promise inspires me to pray, I kind of get over that obstacle. And then he actually does the thing. Oh, I kind of end up where I started. God, you are so good. So awesome. You're so generous. You're, you're, you're so good to a sinner like me. Why did you do that? I, I mess up a hundred times, and here you gave me this beautiful day, a body that works, yeah, no a great kidding. time to dance with Bill. So blessing after blessing, I think that's a good way to overcome that simple obstacle. Yeah. Delight, Mike. Thank you so much for spending the part of this afternoon with all of my listeners. And I know we all have things to think about and to pray about and to be reminded of because of you. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Have yeah. an amazing day, Bill. And I will talk to you again in a month, I hope. Or, or, I hope so, too. Or sooner. Thank you so much. Pastor Mike Navani has been my guest. He, of course, is the pastor at Core Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's got a number of books, and we're talking about the one today is called The Power of Devoted Prayer. I think you'll enjoy it. We'll take a short break. and we come back, hour two is just ahead. We're going to continue our Bible Foundation series with my friend and Bible teacher, Jeff Verdorn. That's all coming up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.